What's up, Repray Share family? We are back with another Bible study message for you and continuing in our holy holy series and journey. We are in week four of this series. So this message is being delivered by Sean Pierce, who delivers a powerful convicting message where he is talking about our very real and present adversary, the enemy. We hope and pray that this message resonates with you and empowers you. All right. And so um, number one is that we know that um, one thing that I reminded us is as we go throughout this theme, as we go throughout this series, that one thing I'm encouraging all of us to do is to seek help outside of Repray Share, to seek help outside of the four walls of the church, um, unless your church has counseling and therapy. Um, as we go throughout this series, um, some of us have already actually experienced this, where things have started to come up. Um, you start to feel a certain way. Uh, you start to have to contemplate and think about uh, different experiences that maybe you haven't thought about in a while. Um, and so I'm encouraging us to still seek um, counseling therapy. Again, you'll see me post all the time, Jesus in therapy, Jesus in counseling. I believe in both. Um, and I think that uh, I can prove biblically that both um, are, are important. And so I want us to be encouraged and uh, seek out to go and um, have one session. I'm not telling you got to go for a year. Have one session. Um, and my prayer is that Holy Spirit would speak to you in that moment um, or even speaking to you now um, so that you can be in a place where you can have somebody to help you out in a way that I can't help you. Um, help you out in a way that majority of people on this Zoom or in the community cannot help you, right? And so I want to throw that out there. All right, now, on the other side of things, week four, all right? And so this is message four of the year. Um, we've been journeying um, throughout the last four weeks, and we've been hanging our hat on this theme that we feel like Holy Spirit really prompted us to to hang tight on. And so um, the theme is holy, holy. So um, w H O L L Y and then Holy H O L Y. And so this year we are still becoming a church that God intended, but we are specifically focusing in on the pursuit of holiness. And so, um, when the, when I give you this vision, uh, this should help you out a little bit when, when we talk about the theme. And so the vision for 2024 again is, uh, to understand, um, and to pursue holiness for the purpose of obeying God. Number one, uh, living life, the King's way, number two, um, and to become our purest, most innocent selves. All right. So the vision of 2024, uh, again, is to understand and pursue holiness uh, for the purpose of number one, obeying God. Uh, number two, living life the King's way, uh, living life Jesus's way, um, our greatest example of, of how to live for God um, and to become our purest and most innocent selves. All right. Now, I, I expressed this last week as well, and I want to express it again this week. Um, I'm asking you all that we uh, take a mature step um, and we commit to being plugged in as we fin as we go throughout this series. Because the thing is, the one thing that I've committed to, that the team is committed to, is we've committed to being uh, walking in ex excellence in all we do, which means that we had to go back and look at our teaching um, and see what, what are some things that we could do to make sure that everything that we're given um, is given in a way where everybody can eat. What that meant for us was we're going to have to dial some stuff back, take some stuff off the plate, off the plate and break it down even more and take baby steps, not baby steps, but take smaller steps um, for us all to make sure that we're eating everything that we need to eat that week. And then we can go to the next the next thing. And so we're breaking stuff down. Right. So we're taking and we're building blocks on top of blocks. And so for us, for you to be able to get everything, we have to be committed to coming and spending that time every week. Um, and I promise we're going to be uh, res uh, respectful of your time as well. And so um, I need us to commit to finishing out this series because I, I, I truly believe and I've heard from a couple of you uh, that this series already is opening up, you know, things that you never even thought about and things that you need to, to seek the Lord on. And so, um, I need us to be committed. All right. Commit these, uh, these next weeks in the series and 
my prayer is that your commitment would lead you to breakthrough. It will lead you to being able to tap into something that you haven't, uh, didn't know that you could tap into, tap into more int intimacy with God. Um, and so I want to, I want to share that now as we hop into this week, um, message for the title is going to be the enemy of our innocence, the enemy of our innocence. And so I want to pray and I'm going to dive right in. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you first and foremost for this time, God. We thank you for this moment, God. We thank you that you allowed for us to see another day, God, and it was purposeful. It was intentional. It wasn't just for us to be here to, 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 to just breathe air, God. It wasn't just to be here just to uh, say that we lived another day, but God, it was for purpose. It was because you wanted us to be here for a purpose, for a reason. And so, God, I pray that in this moment, God, that you would allow for us to see this as a reason, God, for uh, for for being able to come together to a place where we all have experienced growth. We've all at, have experienced transformation. And so, God, I'm praying that you would allow for us to take this time serious, allow for us to uh, drown out the distractions. And, God, I'm praying that you would just uh, allow for us to eat from your table today, God. I pray that you would allow for us to get full off of what you have provided. And, God, I pray that you would allow for this to be another stepping stone to being able to be the person that you called for us to be to 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 reclaim things that were lost to reclaim things that we gave away um and god i'm praying that you would get all the glory honor and praise and god i pray that as i give what you want me to give god i pray that you would allow for me even in my mind to uh be able to hold back anything that i want to say and make sure that what i'm saying is actually what you want me to give to your people and god i pray that at the end of it that you would get all the glory honor and praise and that we would get all the transformation that we would get all the growth that we would get all uh, the, that we would get all the desires to be more intimate uh to really um allow for you to search our heart and search our mind to become everything uh that you've called and created for us to become i mean god we ask you forgive us of our sins known and unknown and continues to do a work in our heart transforming us from the inside out in jesus name we pray amen all right and so uh genesis 3 Genesis 3 is, is going to be where we uh, find ourselves today. We're only going to be in five scriptures and that's it. Um, and so I want to recap last week. And so last week, uh, we really just opened up um, our mind to even think about what innocence is. Um, and I asked the question last week, when is the last time you've seen yourself as innocent? Um, and a lot of us um, had the same experience that I had that gave me confirmation that this was supposed to be our theme. Uh, which was you were taken back to a place that probably is 15 plus years ago, 20 plus years ago when you were a, a kid, 25 plus years ago for some of us. And so when I thought about that um, and, and, and I think about that thought that some of us haven't felt innocent since then, but through Christ, we have the ability to live the full life, which includes us to be able to live holy, which is a gateway to innocence. Now, what is innocence? Innocence is a state of being clean, pure, or morally free from guilt. Um, innocence also is the absence of pollution, which means to be filled with harmful things. Um, and innocence ultimately is the absence of disloyalty uh, to God. And what I wanted to, to focus on last week was allowing for us to see that in the in the chapter two of Genesis, at the beginning, what God intended was for his men and his women, his children, to live in a state of innocence. And I can prove to you to that, I could prove that to you by just reading one verse. Chapter two, verses 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked. Naked could be a metaphor for free. Naked can be a metaphor for open. Naked could be a metaphor uh, for, for, for having nothing hidden, there being no fault. Um, and then the last part, it says, um, they were both naked, but they felt no shame. So no shame, no guilt. There were nothing that that led them to feel something uh, that would cause them to not feel innocent, to not be pure, to not be clean. And so when we think about this, if God intended us to be innocent and through, through Jesus, we have the ability to be able to live uh, the life that God has called us to, could we not be experiencing innocence because one, we weren't aware that we had it and two, we weren't um, aware that we had to steward it. And so that was our whole point of last week. All right now, um, this week, what I want to do is I want to jump into chapter three and I'm going to read the first five, uh, five verses, one through five. And this is what it says. It says, 
the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that uh, the Lord God had made. Uh, one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, uh, that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse four, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Before we jump into the text, I want to give us this thought, this statement uh, to kind of jump us off. Um, and this statement may be a statement that um, most of us will, will, will think about and be like, yeah, I knew that, but I want you to really think about it. Um, and this is the statement. We have a very present enemy. The statement is simply, we have a very present enemy. And, and I really want to be super, super blunt about this, um, that if, if you have any type of thoughts that um, maybe that uh, the enemy isn't what what people will say or 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 you have any thoughts that um, this may not be true. I want to tell us this because this is this is foundational to what we're going to talk about. And we have to grasp this and know this um, if we want to be able to actually pursue the thing that we have for this year to deny the truth that there is a very present enemy is to deny the word of God. Uh, because if we think about this truth, this truth is, is really throughout the whole Bible from the first chapter, uh, from the first book of the Bible, all the way to the last book of the Bible. And so the fact that we have to internalize that we have a very present uh, enemy is so important. It's so important that we grasp this, that we think about this, but also I want to throw this out there because what I think that, that, um, we have an issue sometimes with as the full body of Christ is sometimes we know this truth, but we take this truth to um, a place of um, um, not error, but a place of being um, exaggerating. Like we, we, we take the devil to be something more than he really is. So either on one side, we, we just deny his existence or we feel like he just is a nobody or on the other end, we make him everything and he gets blamed for everything. But what I want us to do is have a healthy balance of the fact that he does exist. And also, it doesn't mean that we have to be uh, infatuated with him. It doesn't mean that we have to think that he had he's bigger than he is or everything bad that happens is him. Is him. Because if I'm honest with you, uh, the decisions that we make, yes, he may entice. Yes, he may tempt. Yes, he may put a stumbling block. Yes, he may uh, uh, put a trap out for us to make that decision. But at the end of the day, if we make that decision, it was a decision that we made based off of his attack, based off of his uh, um, um, his trap. And so I want us to have this healthy balance that, yes, we have a very present enemy. And also, let's not make the enemy bigger than he is. That yes, he does throw tra traps. Yes, he does prowl around looking for someone to devour. Yes, he does uh, go out and he's trying to uh, um, uh, set us up for failure. Yes, he wants to to hang on to the things that we're trying to work on and get rid of. Yes, he wants to go through the door that we're trying to clean the room out and he wants to go in and try to cause havoc in there while we're trying to clean it out. He does all of those things. But I want us to have this healthy balance of the fact that we have this enemy. Now, I want to show I want to show us biblically that it's important for us to to grasp this concept that we have a very present enemy. And this is found in the book of, of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. Um, I'm not going to read it at all. Um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter to us. Ephesians chapter six. This is Paul uh, giving us the ability to understand how to equip ourselves and the things in which he wants us to put on in order for us to be able to have what we need to live this life. Um, if we think about this equipment, this equipment, these things that he's telling us to put on, it's not to look good. It's not to look different. It's just not to say that we're Christians. But the reason why he has us, he's telling us to put this on um, is for a specific reason that I want to read in chapter uh, six, verse 11. And this is what the Bible says. It says in verse 11, Paul says, put on all. And I want you all to say all to yourself. Uh, when you see the word all, he's not meaning like just some of it or, or sometimes put half of it on. You can leave the other half off. He's literally saying put it all on, all at once, 
keep it on, put all of God's armor on so that you will be able to stand firm against all. So he says, put on all the, the armor of God so that you may stand firm against all of the strategies or the schemes of the devil. So Paul is emphasizing that, listen, in order for you to stand firm against all of his schemes and all of his uh, 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 strategies, you got to put on all of the armor. And so Paul is letting us so letting us so even in this scripture, this one scripture, the importance of just not knowing that we have an enemy, but also making sure that we're putting on what God has given us to be able to stand firm against his strategies and against, against his schemes. And this is the fact that the fact of the matter that we got to hang on to is that his schemes and his strategies are the same that they've been from the beginning. They may show up different, but the foundational uh, um, uh, place of his schemes and his strategies are the same. Even if they show up a little differently or he does them a little differently, the foundation is the same. But if you aren't aware or you aren't holding tight to the fact that he's actually a true present enemy that we have right now, you'll miss the schemes and the strategies that he has. You'll just feel the effects of what he's doing. And so Paul says, listen, put on all the armor of God so that you may stand firm against all his strategies and his schemes. I want to show us somewhere else in the Bible that talks about our enemy, just to, just to get us to think about how present and how real he is. This is in Isaiah chapter uh, 14. Now, Isaiah chapter 14 can be a little confusing if you read it, um, but if you read Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah is giving us the ability to see um, how the people of God were taunting Babylon as God was getting ready to uh, uh, be through with Babylon as God was getting ready to overthrow Babylon. And, and when you read the text, if you read it, um, Isaiah starts to continue to talk about things and talk about and, and put statements and put sentences together that cannot be talking about a, a, an actual, a actual human king. Like the things that he's saying, it cannot be uh, taken to actually uh, be being done or being uh, um, uh, happening to a real king. And I want to read it, and it's going to make sense to you. So when he starts to talk about it, uh, talk about Babylon, he switches and starts to uh, display um, what happened to Satan. And he starts to talk about Satan specifically. And so I want to read it really quick. And this is what it says um, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 and through 14. Um, he says, how you are fallen from heaven. Who fell from heaven? The king of Babylon didn't fall from heaven. He was actually a human. He says, oh, you are fallen from heaven. Only one fell from heaven along with his minions, which is the devil. He says, oh, shining star, son of the morning, you have been thrown down to the earth. You who destroy the nations of the world. Now, this is what I need you to 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 take in and 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 uh, capture in this text because he gives us five things that the devil's uh, the devil said or was the posture of his heart and the reason why he was thrown down to earth. This is what it says. It says, "For you said to yourself." Now I didn't even think about this earlier. I just read that and it hit me in my chest. You said to yourself. So the devil told himself this about himself. This is the things he said. He said, I will ascend to heaven. Notice that notice that when the devil was, when God threw the devil down, he threw him down to earth. And this is what the devil in his mind is telling himself. So everything that God did uh, to the devil because of what he did, he threw him down. But the devil is trying to exalt himself and his, and his own words to himself to go up. He says, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens. And this is the one I really want you to catch, the last one. And I will be like the most high. This is the heart of the enemy and the reason why he was cast down. He's a fallen angel by God. 
because of the pride in his heart to, to accept something from God's people that wasn't for him, which is worship, which is glory. So let, let's go back a little bit. So we know the devil was a, he's a fallen angel. And he was a worship leader in heaven. If you go deeper in Isaiah, it starts to describe him and the beautiful, uh, um, um, uh, and a beautiful picture of how he looked and how beautiful he looked in heaven when he was a worship leader. But because he deceived himself into thinking that he was supposed to receive what only God was supposed to receive, his pride got him put down because of his heart. He got casted down from heaven because of his prideful heart and these are the things that the devil not just then was telling himself but still to now this is still now this is what he believes his whole idea is to be like god his whole idea is to be like god and this is the thought i want you to think about before we jump in, into the text if the devil's desire is to be like god and his actions is is getting uh, what he wanted from the beginning, which is worship, which is glory, which only belongs to God. What do you think his foundation, foundational desire today still is? It's still to be worshipped. It's still to receive God's glory. It's still to, to, to be like God. That's his foundational uh, 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 heart posture. His heart posture is to be like God. And so his strategy, strategies and his and his schemes is going to be things for him to reach the ultimate desire, the pleasure that he wants. To be like God, to be worshipped, to be to be uh, 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 given things that only God should be given. His whole idea is this. I want you to write this down if you're writing something down. His whole idea is to get those that were created by God to choose to be in opposition to God or to go against God so that he can be pleased so that he can feel like God. That's his foundational pursuit. If this may show up in different, different forms, he may do it in different ways, but his heart posture is to be like God. And how he does that is to get those that were created by God to choose to be in opposition to God or go against God so that he can be pleased. I'm going to show us one more one more time in the Bible where we can see this play out. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And if you read Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, this is what it says. It says, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. He always wants to uh, uh, put his place in a high, put himself in a high place. He says, uh, it says the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Watch what he says. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, only if you do this, if you kneel down and worship me. I'll give you all of this if you get in a posture that should only be got in when you're getting in it to worship God. He tells Jesus, listen, I'll give you all of this stuff. Took him to a place where he could see everything. I'll give you everything. Only if you kneel down, get to the lowest, most intimate, most submission posture that you can get in. Kneel down and then worship me. This is what Jesus responded. Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve only him. What am I saying with all of this? This is what I'm saying. I'm saying that we have to realize that we have a very present enemy and his desire is to, in any way he can, get us to be in the same state he is, which is in opposition to our father, which leads us to live outside of what God intended for us, which also includes us not being able to live in the innocence of God and the innocence that God has intended for us to live in. That's what I'm trying to get us to realize at this moment. At this moment, I, 
I just need us to realize that not only do we have a present enemy, but the enemy that we have, his same desire that he had when he was a fallen angel, when he when he was in heaven as a worship leader, that same desire that he had in his heart, that same desire is the same desire that he has right now. And that is to, in any way he can, get us to be in the same state that he is in right now, which is in opposition to God, which leads us to live outside of what God intended, which includes us not being able to live in and steward the innocence that God intended for us from the beginning. Now, I'm not saying this to scare nobody, because let me tell you something. God has given us the ability to have the armor, to stand firm, to pray, and to know that in Jesus' name, the devil will flee. But all of that is good, but we got to know before all of that, that he's actually a very present enemy and what his desire is still today. Because if we're not aware of his schemes and we're not aware uh, of, of his strategies, if we're not aware of what his desire is, if we're not aware of what um, um, he's coming to do still right now today, if we're not aware of it, there's no way to actually steward what God has given us to live in. Because he's always going to, this is the thing I can promise you. He's not going to stop his strategies and schemes. He's going to be in opposition until he's defeated. Ultimately, he's already defeated. But until we get to the point where Jesus comes back and he's put in his rightful place where he where he, where he needs to be, he's going to come with his schemes. He's going to come with his strategies. So we got to be aware of them. We got to be aware of it. All right. So we have a very present enemy. And this enemy is an enemy to everything that God intended for us to, to live in, in the state that God intended for us to be in. And one of those states is a state of being innocent. Now, in a text we read earlier, it's a perfect example of everything I've been talking about so far. Now, I want to go back and tell again, last week we in chapter two, we seen the innocence of people. We see what God intended for his people when it came to them being innocent, pure, clean, without without uh, guilt, without shame. And so as we talk about, we take the same thought process into chapter three. Chapter two, they're innocent, they're pure, they're clean. They're without shame, they're without guilt, they're naked, they're free. There is nothing hidden. This is a state that God intended for them to be in. We get to chapter three, and in chapter three, what I want to give us, and I'm 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 pretty much done now. I want to give us three things that shows us our enemy, and it shows us some strategies or schemes that he uses to try to get us to fall in the trap or make a decision that will pull us out of being able to live the life that God intended for us. In chapter three. Uh, we see the, op the, the opposition that the devil desires us to have with our father. That if we choose it, it leads us to live outside of what God intended. In chapter two, we see men, the man and the woman were created. Adam and Eve were created. It tells us the state that they were in. Chapter three, we see the opposition. We see the very present enemy. And we see his attempt to put traps and lead us to live in opposition to the one that we were just roaming in the cool breeze of the air with. The one that created us and fashioned us and formed us, purposed us, called us, positioned us. All of those things we see right after they're created in the beginning of their journey. Right after God has brought the woman to the man and David is so happy, he said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He's so happy that he got his mate, the one that was purposed for him. And then God reveals the state that they're in. I'm repeating it because I'm hoping that you're getting the gist. He, he starts to give us the ability to see the state that these Two were in at the beginning. 
And right after we see them have to go against the opposition that we all are seeing right now or we've seen already. And I'm telling you, we're going to see after today. I didn't think about this, but can I give you this thought? At the beginning of their journey, they see the opposition. At the beginning of Jesus's journey, he sees the same opposition. Both times each seeing the opposition, his desire never changed. He sees Adam and Eve in chapter three. His desire is to get them to be in opposition to the father. Matthew four, we see at the beginning of Jesus's journey, right after he is encouraged, he is, he is baptized uh, uh, by John. And right after it says, the Bible says that, uh, um, the, his father says, my son, I am well pleased. Right after that, the beginning, he sees his opposition. He's led into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. We just read it. The devil's desire was to get Jesus to make a decision that would, that would lead him to be in opposition to his father. And what we see in this is a principle that's called the law of first mention, which simply says this, it, it suggests that um, how you see something at the beginning is the first time is foundationally how you're going to see it play out throughout the rest of the Bible. It may not play out in the same way, but foundationally is going to be is going to be the same thing. His scheme, his strategy may be different in how he does it, but the fact of why he does it and the foundational reason of what he's doing is the same. It never, it doesn't change. His desire is the same. To put us in opposition, to lead us, to put a stumbling block, to put a trap for us to fall in, for us to make a decision about so that we'll be in opposition to our father, which leads us to not be able to live in the states that he has for us to live in. And one of those is innocence. I want to give us three really quick that are right in the text that are strategies and schemes that the devil used in the beginning to cause us to not be able to live in the state that all of us from last week are desiring to get back to. We gotta be aware of them. This is not an exhausted list, so there are more ways, but these are three that we just find in the text. If you're writing notes, this is where you wanna write. Number one, the first one we see literally in verse one of chapter three. One of the ways that the enemy, one of the strategies, the schemes that he tries to use is relationships. He tries to use relationships. He'll try to use people. And a lot of times, these are the people that are the closest to us or that we have to interact with more, a lot. It could be your boss. It could be your, your best friend. It could be your spouse. He tries to use relationships to set a trap for there to be some type of friction, for there to be some type of, uh, of disconnection, for there to be some type of situation that happens that will lead us to be in opposition to our father. The first thing he uses is a relationship. This is the thought I want you to think about. In verse one, it says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman. If you go back to chapter two, God gives the instruction to Adam. We know Eve had to get the instruction from Adam because she knows what God said. But think about this. Why would the devil go to the woman and not go to the man, knowing that God gave the man the instruction? He was on the earth when, when all of this happened. He was already fallen. He was already here. Like, he didn't pop up right at the end of chapter two. No, like, he was already in the garden. Why would he go to the woman and not go to the one that the instruction was given to? Not that the woman is weak, but what he does is he tries to go to the one 
that didn't hear what God said at the beginning. Have y'all ever been in a situation where you heard from God, you knew what God said, you told somebody that you was real cool with, or maybe you didn't tell them, and they just knew, they could just sense it, they just knew the direction that you were heading in. And then they come with like these, these words, and they come with, with all these things to, to start challenging what you knew God said. And you like, wait a minute, we supposed to be cool with we supposed to be like, like, why would you, you knowing that I told you or, or you know that this is what I'm in pursuit of with God. And here you come questioning. Here you come uh, trying to trying to make me feel as if I ain't here right. Or here you come challenging the fact that I got to be logged in on replay share in the morning, but you want to go do this and that. Like all these different, have y'all ever been in a situation like that where you know God's told you what he what he said? Like you know what he said. And it's a person that you would have never thought would have said those things, would have been questioning you in this moment, would have would have been, would have been wanting to talk about this, or maybe they didn't even know, but they come and ask you to go do something that God just told you that you need to hang back and not do no more. And you're like, God just told me I can't do that. Why would you, how did you? The first thing you talk about is the thing, the very thing that God just told me I need to hang back from. It's not beneficial for me. It's not bringing me the fruit I want in my life. And I'm not, this is the thing I want you to, I want you to get. I'm not saying that those people are bad at all. They could be children of God. They could be, they could be, they could be, they could be on a journey with you. I'm not saying that they're bad people. But what I am saying is, the devil will try to use anything that he can in a relationship to try to get his agenda accomplished. This is what he did. The first thing he did, he went and talked to the woman. He went and talked to the woman that didn't hear straight from God. She heard from Adam. He went and start to do some things to her that would lead them to not be in the state that God intended for them to be in from the beginning. He uses relationships. He uses people. We even see this in Ephesians chapter six, Paul, right after he says in chapter in verse 11 and verse 12, he says these words, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Meaning that you don't have to go and fight them people and fight what they said, because if you if you understand that in their in their truest in their truest state, um, if you understand that in a, on a regular day they wouldn't be acting like this, that it has to be an attack. It got to be the enemy. There's no reason to go against them because it's not them. It's what's working through them. We see this even in Jesus's day with Peter, when Peter is going in opposition of what God or what Jesus know he has to go and do, and Jesus says, "Get thee behind me, Satan." Obviously, he's not saying that Peter is Satan, but but because of what Peter said, which was in opposition to what God had called Jesus to do, which was going down the cross for our sins. And Peter like, quit saying, well, quit talking like that because you ain't finna go and die. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. He's not saying uh, Peter is Satan, but he is saying that what you just said can't be from you. Like that can't be only from you. There has to be some, 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 some some residue from the enemy for you to even come into opposition for me to go do something that's going to save your life. It's going to allow for you to be saved. And so he tries to use relationships. And we have to be aware of this because if we're not aware of this, what we do is go fight with people and miss the whole point of what the devil is trying to do. Miss his whole strategy, his whole scheme. And we just go arguing with people, missing his whole strategy and his scheme. And we argue with people to the fact that we start to make decisions because of what they did, not realizing it was just a strategy or a scheme. It was just the devil trying to use what he knew he could use to try to get his agenda accomplished, which, to, which is to get us to be in opposition to our father, because that leads us to have to have to live, or have to actually live in that moment until repentance, until we come to realize 
out of the state that God intended for us to live in. That's number one. The second scheme and strategy that we see right in the text is also in verse one. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Strategy scheme number two that we see right in the text is that the devil will lead us to question what we know or should know, which is truth. He tries to get us to question what we know or should know, which is truth. Have y'all ever been in a situation where you know good and well what God said? You know what his words say. Like, you know. Like, it ain't, it ain't even no question. You know what it's saying. And then in your mind, you start to question it like, but do it? Is he really saying that though? Like, he ain't saying that though. Like, he don't mean exactly that. Like, he not saying, he not saying that exactly. Like, he probably mean like metaphorically that I can't like, but but he ain't saying that though. This is what he got, he tried to do to Eve. Or this is what he did to Eve. He tried to get her to question what God had already said. Did God really say? Let's be real. You know good and well. I know good and well. The Bible told me, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be intoxicated for my own benefit. And then I get to thinking, well, I mean... If I get drunk, I'm at home, I'm at home getting drunk. I'm like, I mean, I got a driver to take me home. I, I'm not gonna drive and drive. I'm not gonna be driving. I'm gonna be good. Those those questions that come up. This is the thing. If you sat back and thought about it, why would you be questioning? the one in which you say you believe in and the one in which you know would only say something for your own benefit. Like, and afterwards we go and do it and we like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Like, oh, I don't even feel good. I made a, a decision I should have never made. We start to feel the benefits of going against what we knew to be true. Do you think that you were you was questioning that just because it was you like you were smart enough to start questioning yourself? Like, okay, I know God said that, but did he really? No, that's a strategy. That's a scheme. He tries to get you to question what you know to be true. Or what you should know. Now I gotta talk about that. This is why we gotta be in God's word. This is why we gotta know truth for ourselves. Because if you don't know the truth, it's easy for him to get you to question what you don't, what you aren't anchored to, what you don't believe in, what you don't truly, uh, you have ingested, you have, you have digested. It's the, it's the way of life. It's the truth to your life. If you don't have it, he'll start getting you not just to, just to question the stuff you do know, but he'll definitely start putting traps out for the stuff you don't know or you haven't took the time to digest, or you haven't anchored yourself to and said, this is the truth that I'm living on. I'm not living on opinion. I'm not living on the facts of what people are talking about. Fact, a truth overrides facts, it overrides opinion, and overrides all of that. If you haven't made that declaration and you're not anchored to that, it's easy for him to set these strategies and schemes. It's easy for him to use. He tried to do this with Jesus in Matthew 4. He says, listen, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting. I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, no. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone. Would it be bad for Jesus to eat the bread? But what the devil was trying to get him to do was do something that was a, a, actually a legitimate need for him in a way that God didn't, didn't intend for him to do it. What did he do? He questioned what, what Jesus knew. He questioned the word 
which is Jesus, about what he already knew. What is what is what is the devil questioning, leading us to question about the truth we know or the truth that we need to get to know an anchor to? Because it's that very thing that he's questioning, that he's laying down traps that he wants us to walk in so that we can make a decision that will lead us to not be able to live in the states that God intended for us to live in. Not to be able to steward the states that God has given us through our relationship with Jesus. That's a scheme. That's a scheme. The last one and we're done. The last scheme here. Three. He'll try to set up a trap for desire things outside of how God intended for us to have them. He'll try to trap us into desiring things outside of how God intended for us to desire or have them. This is in chapter, uh, chapter three, verses four and five. This is what it says. It says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, listen to what he says in five. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. He already questioned Eve, got her thinking, got her doubting, got her got her thinking about what God said. Did he really? Hmm, I don't know. And then he comes with verse four and five to try to get them to get Eve to desire something in a way that God didn't intend for her to have to desire a thing in a way that God didn't intend for her to desire it or have it for her own benefit. First and foremost, he said, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, which was true. But listen to what it says. And you will be like God. What's his desire in Isaiah? I will be like God. But this is the thing. He's not like God. But guess who God created in his image? So he's telling them to do something, to be in a way that God ultimately actually created them in, but didn't give them certain things because he didn't want them to have to experience certain things. So he created them in a way purposeful because he didn't want us to have to experience something that wasn't going to be beneficial for us anyway. We didn't need to know good and evil. We didn't need to know the difference. All we needed to know was good, which is him. Everything else that we needed, he was providing already. He provided Adam with purpose. He provided them with his partner. He provided Eve with her partner. He provided them with everything, with, with, with what they were going to do. Have dominion and power over all of the things. He provided everything that they needed. They didn't need to know good and evil, good and evil. Everything was already good. But the devil wanted them to start to now desire and start to want to experience things in a way that God never intended it, which would lead them to live outside of how God intended for them to live. He says, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Which is a scheme, it's a trap to get us to look at things that God intended for us uh, in a way that he didn't intend for us to live it out. I'll give you an easy one that we all know, sex. Is sex a good thing? Yes. Is sex a God thing? Yes. Did God put sex in a, in, a, in a container for us to be able to have, to be able to enjoy it in its fullness? Yes. Anything outside of that, that container is not what he intended it to be. But let's be honest. Have we ever got to this point where in life we was like, man, ain't no way I got these desires. I feel this certain way. I'm, at this time of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm heated up. I didn't see something. And Man, ain't no way God, ain't no way he don't want me to, like, he don't want me to go and he made it. I know I ain't married, but like, 
That's a devil scheme. That's his desire. His desire is to get you to treat something that God created in a way that is outside of how he intended for you to actually pursue and desire that thing. That's a scheme. That's a strategy. Because he knows if he can lay that out there and we and we decide to take it, he knows what we're robbed of. He knows what's stolen now. He knows what's happening. We're in opposition to our father because of disobedience, which now leads us to not be able to, for a for a time, obviously through Jesus, we have the ability to repent, to change our mind, but we he knows that now we've misstewarded, mismanaged the state that God intended for us to live in. That's just a scheme. That's just a strategy to get us to look at what God made, to look out how, at what God intended, how God wanted things to be, and start to challenge and get us to decide, is this really how God intended it, or can I just go live it out like this because he made it? That's a scheme. That's a strategy. And I want us to be aware of these schemes and, and strategies for you and for me so that I can learn and understand how to steward the states that God has intended for me to live in. The life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus has come to give us life and life to the fullness. So it's through Jesus that we actually have this ability to live in these states and be able to steward them. But it's still the strategies and schemes of the devil to fulfill his purpose, to get us to live outside of what God intended, which is to actually also live outside of the innocence he has for us to live in. I want to give us this last scripture that um, through me and Angie talking last night, she she brought this scripture up and I felt like it was such a good scripture for us to end out on when talking about this point. And it comes from first John uh, chapter two, verse John, first uh, John chapter two, uh, is two, script, two scriptures, verses 15 um, through 17. And this is what it says. It says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you for the world offers only craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and a pride in our achievements and, and possessions. These are not from the father, but are from the world and the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does not um, do what pleases God, or I'm sorry, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Does it mean that the things of the world we should never obtain, we should never, we should never have, we should never steward over? No. But when you become, when that becomes your love, you can only love one thing. We can't play in between. So when we start to love those things of the world more than we love God, the text says we really have we're losing love for God. So when we start letting the devil lay down these strategies and schemes, and we we start falling into them and not stewarding the life that God God called us to live, we start to then go and love those things that are not doing anything but robbing us of the state that God wants us to wants us to live in. I want you to take a moment and think. Think about these three schemes and strategies. I can think about so many times that because I wasn't aware of these schemes and strategies, I was falling. Straight up. Because I wasn't aware that, yes, I have an enemy. This is the thing. Sometimes we're so infatuated with just the fact that the devil is real that we stop there and we don't go and actually look into, well, what does he actually do? Like, how does he actually want 
me to fall? Like, what is his schemes? What's his strategies? We do it for everything else. But the one that is in most opposition to our, to our father, which means he has the same opposition for us. What does he actually do? And that was my heart today. My heart today was not just to expose us to our enemy, because I'm sure everyone on here would have said, I know who the, I know the devil. I know he's real. But do we know his strategies and his schemes? Because if we know his strategies and his schemes and we know how he goes about doing things, we know the foundational, uh, uh, um, uh, the foundation of his heart posture. We know what he desires. Ultimately, it gives us this ability to be aware of what his strategy and scheme is, which allows for us to see it through the whole, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Then also through the wisdom of God to be able to make a decision that matches this tr the truth that we know, helps us to make a decision not to fall into his trap, not to take the fruit that he wants us to eat, which will keep us to keep us to have the ability to steward the life that God has given us to steward, which allows for us to steward our innocence. Allows for us to live in the state of purity, of wholeness, without guilt, without being polluted, and ultimately in loyalty to God. And so I want to pause right here and, and I want to ask have us all pause and ask ourselves the question through what we just talked about. What is the Lord saying to you? What is Holy Spirit saying to you? I love this question because it's a reflection question. It gives us this ability to connect to the one that that's going to speak to us. Ultimately, I can give you this message. I can, I can button it up, make it look pretty. I could do all of that. But at the end of the day, the one that's going to speak to your heart, the one that's going to allow for you to be transformed, the one that's going to allow for you to see the things in which you need to look at, the things in which you need to readjust, the things in which you need to repent of, the things in which you need to change and make adjustments to, it's, it's Holy Spirit. And so I just want us to all sit back and ask that question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Well, what in this message are you actually trying to get to me? What are you trying to make me aware of? And this is my promise, whatever he's saying, uh, the promise is that he's saying it to you for a reason. And I want to say this last thing that I didn't say at the beginning. Whatever he's saying, it's never for condemnation. Whatever's coming up in you, it's not for condemnation. So if you start to feel condemnation because things are starting to come up, you made this decision and it was because you didn't see the scheme, you didn't see the strategy. If you start to feel condemnation, that's not, that's not from him. The Bible tells us there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And all of us, if we are believers in Christ, if Christ is not just our Savior, but also our Lord, and we are saved, then he's never coming to condemn. So if you start to feel that, it's a scheme. It's a strategy. Because what does condemnation do? Condemnation leads us to return back to a guilt that God has forgiven us of. It turns us back to shame that God has forgiven us of. It turns back to recanting and remembering and punishing ourselves of things that God, if we've if we've if we repented and we've asked for forgiveness, He's forgiven us of. But the devil knows if he can get us back to condemnation, he can get us back to the state that we were in. He can get us back to robbing ourselves of what God intended. You can't live in innocence and still recant what God forgave you of. Your mind is going to keep you out of feeling and, and being pure. Being without guilt. So if you feel condemnation, I want you to know it's not from him. All right, so let's take a moment. We'll pause um, and ask that question. What is Holy Spirit saying to you?
And if you're still in that moment, um, stay there. The most important part is to have is allow him to speak to you. So if you're still in that moment, stay there. But what I want to do is I want to pray. Uh, and, and I want to, before I pray, give the call to salvation. I'm going to turn it back over to uh, Kaya. Uh, and what the Bible tells us is this, um, Romans 10 and 9, that if we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, that uh, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. This is the thing. Everything that we're talking about, none of that stuff is, 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 is are we capable of, of being able to do or live in without making that first decision to give our life to Christ. So I don't know where any of us are at uh, in our journey. I don't know who's listening with you, um, but if if you aren't, um, if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't made the best decision that you can make, which is to be reconciled, be uh, uh, back in relationship with your father, then this is the decision that, that I want to present you. The Bible tells us that today is a day of salvation, that we don't know about tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to have the ability to make the decision tomorrow, but today is a day that we have the decision to make it because he's given us breath in our lungs to be alive. We don't know when he's coming back. Can't predict it for you. But what I do know is at this moment right now, I just want to extend the opportunity to receive the one that went and paid a price for you because he knew that you couldn't pay that price. He knew that you couldn't go die and be the savior of the world. So he went and did it for us. I want to give us that call. If that's you, if you know you need to give your life to Christ, throw one in the chat. I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate you. Um, and I want to welcome you into the family. And I want you to know that at the same time as we're celebrating and welcoming you, the Bible tells us that uh, in heaven, they're throwing a party for one that comes home. All right, I want to give us a second calling. The second calling, I just want to, I just want to pray for anybody that wants prayer, that knows that through just what we've been talking about, things have just been coming up and you just start to realize all the schemes and all the strategies that you missed and you're starting to feel this feeling. And I want to pray over condemnation. I want to pray over, over, over just our journey as we go, as we go through these different things, as we continue to, to take this next step and to continue to um, uh, pursue holiness as we continue to reclaim and, and, and see our, our, our innocence restored. Um, I want to pray over that. And so if that's you, throw it too in the chat. And I want I want to pray with you. Um, and I want to pray for you. Um, and as I'm praying, I, I'm asking everyone else to pray as well. Um, and let's pray together. So if you're a one, obviously throw it in the chat. If you're a two, throw it in the chat as well. And I want to pray over you. All right, let's pray. If you if you if you still want to add, obviously you got time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you first and foremost for this time, God. We thank you for just the just the the love that you have for us. That even through your word, you give us the ability to see everything we need to see, to know everything we need to know, to have every principle that we need, God. That your word is still living; it's alive today. And God, we thank you for your word and. God, as we sit here in this moment, God, I just want to thank you for this time. God, I want to thank you that you've given us this ability to freely come and be able to come together and be able to fellowship together. And God, I thank you that you've placed this community on a journey of pursuing holiness, God, that ultimately says that we're pursuing you because you are holy. And God, I thank you that God, through our pursuit of holiness, through our through through what uh, uh, Jesus did on the cross, that we have this ability to be able to also return back to states that you intended for us from the beginning. God, as we reclaim, as we as we start to steward over these states, over this over this life that Jesus uh, came to give us in its fullness, that God, we would that you would help us by the by the Holy Spirit be aware of these schemes, be aware of the strategies that our very present enemy lays out daily. That God, we would be aware of them, God, and we would see them, and we would be able to call them out, and and be able to call them out on His. On, on his doing lord god and be able to profess god that by your word god that says that uh by Jesus' name god that, that the enemy will flee god and we would see them we would call it out god and we would speak to the devil um and give him the name that's above every name god and that he would flee from 
us. And God, I'm praying that you would just give us, God, a, just an awareness, God, of being able to see the different schemes and the different ways that ultimately has the same foundation that wants us to be in opposition to you, God, that wants us to, to walk away from the life that you intended for us, that wants us to live outside of the life that you have for us to live. And God, I'm praying over everyone that, that is here, God, but I pray over those that put a two in the chat, God, and I'm praying that you would give them just an awareness, God. I pray that they will, God, seek intimacy with you, God, that would ultimately put them in your presence, God, where you can show them things, where you can uh, uh, give them, God, what they need to know, God, that you would uh, do for them, God, what you've done with me these past couple of months, God, that you would just allow for us, Lord God, to be able to truly become more aware daily, God, of, of the schemes and the strategies of the enemy, God, that we will be reminded of Ephesians 6 that tells us to put on all the armor of God. God, but when we do that, God, when we put on your armor, God, that it gives us the ability to be aware of all the schemes and the strategies of the enemy, God, that God, when we put on your armor, God, it gives us the ability to be able to stand firm against all his schemes, all his strategies, Lord God. And God, I'm thanking you, God, in advance for every, all the breakthrough, God, for all the ability to be better stewards, for all the ability to be better aware, God, um, that this will lead us to the life that you want us to live. And God, I just thank you for everything that's going to come from this. And God, I'm praying that you would give those that that are that put a two in the chat, but everyone, God, that you would give us joy, peace, God, that you would allow for us to receive receive everything that you have for us, God, and that, God, we wouldn't allow the schemes and the desires of the enemy, God, to, 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 to cause us to make decisions that rob us of that. And God, we just thank you, God, and we love you and we honor you, God. And I just pray a blessing over us all that as we continue the journey, God, that you will continue just to show yourself, God, that you will continue just to allow for us to be more and more intimate with you, God, that will lead us to truly, Lord God, have a holy fear of you, God, that would have a fear that says that we don't want to be away from you, God, which your book, God, in, in Exodus tells us, God, in Exodus 20, God, that when we fear you, God, when we have a holy fear of you, God, it keeps us from sinning, God, it keeps us from missing the mark. And so, God, we thank you, God, and we love you, we honor you, God, and I pray that you forgive us for every sin known and unknown and continue to do a work in our heart, transforming us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen man and so listen i love y'all um and i'm going to turn it back over to kaya <laughs>